So if you ask a preacher, preacher, what is your favorite book in the Bible? He will tell you what? Whichever one he's studying. That's right. So guess what my favorite book is? Look at your notes if you forget where you were. Uh, Colossians, yes. Please turn with me in your Bible to Colossians. And uh, we are going to launch into this incredible book. Uh, and I mean that. Um, th- this is a book that will change your life if you let it. And, uh, and there's a sense in which all 66 books in the Bible will change your life in one way or another if you let it. But uh, I want to show you specifically today how and why you need Colossians. And one of the things that I've done, I challenged you, for those of you that were with us in James, I challenged you that, that as a part of this class, I think Terry actually has like a textbook that they're going through and stuff like that, so I'm not going to give you a commentary on Colossians, although I'd love to recommend some if you want to do that. What I am going to challenge you to do if you're going to be a part of this class is I want you to read through the book of Colossians at least once every week. It's four chapters. You can do it probably in, in 10 or 15 minutes of just sitting there and doing it, so it's not long. Uh, I'd love for you to read the whole book every day, I mean, to be honest. I mean, I think probably most of us spend more time you know, waiting in the drive-thru at Starbucks than we would need uh, you know, to work through a book of the Bible. But, um, but no, you, you don't get to know the Bible by being casually acquainted with it, just like those of you that have been married a while. You don't get to know your spouse by, by sort of, you know, passing encounters, right? You, you get to know a book in the Bible by living with it and meditating on it and getting uh, familiar to where, um, the, you know, God, God's Spirit does things if, if you will... If you will follow the Bible's counsel, you'll, you'll be sitting there in traffic one day if you've been meditating on Colossians and a phrase will pop into your mind and you'll go, huh, I need that right now because I'm getting a little riled up about the traffic in town or, or, you know, maybe you're talking to your adult son or daughter and, and maybe it's a little bit of a heated conversation or maybe it's a discouraging conversation and, and all of a sudden a little verse will pop into your mind and you go, man, I needed that. See, that's what the Word of God will do as the Spirit of God works in your life to, to bring it to memory and to apply it. And, um, but, but, but that doesn't happen if, if you live as a closed Bible Christian, right? We want to we rid ourselves of the plague, the, the spiritual plague of closed Bible Christianity. And uh, we want to get into it. So I want to encourage you and challenge you uh, to, to read through Colossians at least once a week. And I, I would... I would encourage you even more to do it once a day you can you can do it you've got the time and uh you will not be disappointed i promise you'll not be disappointed one of the things that i do in fact i was doing this i ran into town to get some dinner last night i was driving home and uh, i've got the whole bible on uh like digital recording and so i pop it in my my uh car audio system and i'm listening to max mclean uh read Colossians as I'm driving home and he's got this wonderful British accent which makes you pay attention a little better. I don't know why, but any, anything we need to help, right? Anything we're going to take, any, any advantage we can. So, so get an audio Bible, redeem your commute. Uh, we, in our family, we listen to the Bible at the breakfast table in the morning. You know, kids are half asleep, dad's half asleep, but you know, we got the Word of God there. So just surround yourself with it and you will be uh, surprised how much you uh, end up retaining. Okay, so the title of our study is Christ is First. And you're going to see why 
that is our the name of our study. Uh, look in your Bible with me, Colossians chapter 1, and let me just show you where the title comes from so you know I'm not just making stuff up up here, okay? Colossians chapter 1, and uh, I want you to look with me at verse 18. Okay, now, now we're, we're gonna, we're gonna jump into the middle of a conversation, and that's always a little bit dangerous, both in life and in reading the Bible. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a, a sense of the context here in a minute, but, but we're just, we're just gonna pull a verse out here, okay? And, and I want you to see this. Chapter 1, verse 18. He, and the he in context here is Jesus, okay? So he, Jesus, is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So that, okay? Now, if you like to write in your Bible and highlight stuff and circle stuff, I want you to underline that little phrase, so that, or, or circle that, or highlight that, put a little star, a little arrow to the margin, and just put main point, right? Main point right there. That so that is the point of the book. The point of the book is Paul saying, this is Jesus, this is who he is, this is what he's done, and because of who he is and what he's done, he ought to be the one to have first place in your life. In fact, Paul goes a step further. It says what? So that he himself will come to have first place in most things in your life. Is that what your Bible says? What does it say? In what? In everything. The ESV says he will have the preeminence, right? Uh, I, I like the NASB because, you know, my kids understand this, right? That he will have first place in everything. You say, what does that mean? You ought to let Jesus have control of every area of your life. You say, well, what does that even mean? He's not here. I can't see him. I don't hear him audibly. What does that mean? It means that what the Bible tells us about who Jesus is and his instructions to people, that, that Jesus' words, his instructions, the, the, the principles we find in the Bible ought to govern every realm of our lives. Uh, Jesus doesn't want to have first place just when you come to church, right? We're here and we're with one another. Okay, I need to be nice. That guy's kind of weird, but I need to be nice to him because I'm in church, you know, we, we, right? We, Jesus needs to have first place at the office and with your neighbor. And when you're fi- looking for something on Netflix and convictingly, when we're in our cars, when we're with our kids, uh, when we're when we're thinking about planning a vacation, uh, Jesus, we say it like this: Jesus calls us for Him to be Master and Lord over everything. There is no area of our lives that Jesus ought not to be the one leading the way in terms of how we're living in that area. And one of the things I want to encourage you is this. We all have areas in life, I have areas, you have areas, where we struggle to let Jesus have first place. And as we go through this study together over the next 15 weeks or so, and we learn this, and you're dazzled as I'm dazzled, and you're encouraged as I hope I'm encouraged, 
I want you to be asking the question, where do I need Jesus to have more first place in my life? Where, where is there some course correction that's needed in that area or areas? Okay, but that's where we get the title. The title comes from chapter 1, verse 18. It's, it's Paul's purpose. He's writing this so that the Colossian Christians would make Jesus to have first place in everything. Okay, so welcome to Colossians. Are you excited already? I'm, I'm, I'm getting wound up up here already. We're not even started yet. So, okay, let, let's, let's jump in here. And uh, first of all, uh, how many of you took David Gibson's intro to the Bible class? What did you think? Was that life-changing? I mean, did that just kind of put it all? And, and, and that's why that class is first, because it's like saying, hey, we're going we're, we're gonna to take a trip to Boston, and you've never looked at a map of the United States before. And you're going, okay, which way do I go? And Boston's kind of a nice place. But, right? but now that you see globally, right? now you kind of see the big picture, now we can sort of individually fill in the details. So uh, if, we're, if we're coming to Colossians... What, what sort of era, those of you that took David's class, what, what era of Bible history does the book of Colossians fall under? Any, any ideas? What? What's that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the period of the Acts, right? Remember, Acts is the history of the early church. And as Acts is telling us that history, there are churches being established. And some of those churches get letters written to them. So, and again, if you're new to Christianity, this, this may be a little bit uh, uh, new to you, but when the Bible says it's the book of Colossians, the full title is the letter of Paul to the Colossians, meaning the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church, and you say, what's Colossians? Colossians, it refers to the town or the city that the church resides in. So the book of Colossians is written to Christians that live in the church located at the town of Colossae, right? Colossae is how you say that. Uh, the letter to the Ephesians is a, a, a letter that's written by Paul to Christians where? At Ephesus, right? You get the idea. Corinth is Corinthians, right? Galatia. At Galatia Galatians is a little bit tricky because Galatia isn't a city or a country. It's a region. So the book of Galatians was written to a whole bunch of churches in an area known as Galatia. But but anyway, that, that just kind of helps you a little bit. It is in the book of Acts. It, it happens in the book of Acts, and I'm going to take you through this. So I've got a diagram here, and uh, you probably can't read any of that, can you? Well, hopefully hopefully you can at least make out the, the basic contours that uh, we have the Mediterranean Sea in the middle there. Over to the east, that would be the area of uh, Israel. And uh, so here's Jerusalem, the area of Judea, and then if we go up north, we get up to Syria and then over. So, so that big continent that, that kind of sticks out right there, right? That is what was known as Asia in those days. And many of the letters that are written to the New, in the New Testament to various people occur in that area known as Asia. And, and some of you that have really, really good distance vision can see there's Galatia, Cappadocia, um, uh, what do we got there? Tarsus, Pamphylia, Lycia, Phrygia, um, and we, we can't see. If we go further to the west, we'd get up to Italy, right, to Rome. We see Crete sticking out there in the corner. So all of these, and I don't know about you, I failed geography. How'd you do in geography? I'm, not, I'm totally not making that up. I, I, I'm horrible at geography. I can look at a map and go, what did I just look at? Okay, some of you, like my, my brother, 
my brother, when he was um, a college student, he got a shower curtain that had a map, like a, like a world atlas, right? And, and he would sit there, and, uh, and, and you ask him anywhere, and he knows capitals and stuff like that. So that's not me. So I have to look at maps like this. So this is where we're going to be talking about. And right, uh, I, I need my pointer. I have no pointer. So it's right up there is Colossae, okay? And um, that's what we're talking about. Now, the red arrow represents Paul's first missionary journey. How many missionary journeys did Paul go on? Anybody know? Three, maybe four. We know for three for sure. There might have been a fourth, but but there's we can't really say for sure. So what happens? Where where does um where does the church start? Let's just review some history here, okay? Where does the church start? In Jerusalem. And what event starts the beginning of the church? Pentecost, which is what? Yeah, it's where the Holy Spirit is given, right? And, and that's kind of weird because we think all Christians get the Holy Spirit as soon as they become converted. That's true today. But back then, uh, Jesus goes back to heaven. There was that, that early band of disciples, and they were to wait for the giving of the Spirit. And that Holy Spirit, as he was given on the day of Pentecost, is what launched the church. And so those apostles and those disciples, after receiving the Holy Spirit, they scatter to take the gospel uh, all over the place. And so the Apostle Paul, you remember he was not one of the original 12 apostles. He became an apostle a little bit later in the story. But he sets off, okay, so here's Jerusalem, right? So the church is, is growing. Eventually it expands up to a little town called Antioch, right? You see it right there in Syria. And Paul begins his first missionary journey along those red lines. Now, if you can't see that, chances are if you have a Bible uh, a paper Bible, if you go to the very back, in fact, just, just do this. Hold your place there. Go to the very back of your Bible. Do you have maps? Did you know the publisher put that there to help you? I bet almost every Bible has a map of Paul's missionary journey. It's probably one of the last maps that you have. See if you can find it. Just take a minute and see if you can find it. It'll say something like Paul's missionary journeys or the journeys of Paul, and then you'll see a map that looks probably something similar with arrows all over it. How many of you found it? Okay, so that is there for your navigational help. And uh, whenever you're reading the New Testament, you're like, "Where's Phrygia? Where's Laodicea? And you know, who's right? Where's Smyrna? That's a great place to go. And not only can you locate it on the map, but then you can figure out, oh. Paul visited it on his second missionary journey. And, and so like this one, this is neat because not only does it tell you uh, the, the where he went, but it also gives you, and, and you probably can't see this, Brian mentioned that uh, the New Testament letters happened during the history of the book of Acts. So if you look way up at the upper left-hand corner, the first missionary journey of Paul, underneath that it says Acts 13 through uh, Acts 13, uh, verses 4 to 14 and verse 28. So that, that tells you where you can go in the book of Acts to read about this uh, phase of church history. Okay? So guess what? Did, did, now, those of you that have really good distance vision, did Paul make it to Colossians in his first missionary journey? Some of you are like, I can't see, Keith. I don't know. Well, look at your map. If you got your map in your Bible there, did he make it to Colossians? No, he didn't. Okay, he did not go to Colossae in his first missionary journey. What about his second missionary journey? And again, you can follow along in your maps if you want. 
uh, your, your map number two of his second missionary journey should, should look something like this. Uh, did he make it to Colossae this time? What do you think? No. Okay. Uh, third time's the charm, right? Well, let's go to third missionary journey. Uh, man, he got really, really, really close, but it looks like he went to Laodicea, not Colossae. Um, so what do we conclude? He never went there. Okay. That's what makes this letter so interesting. The church at Colossae was this little church. We're going to learn in a moment. It was founded by a man named Epaphras. And um, Colossae, do you remember um, a book in the Bible called Esther? Remember that? And there was this king, right? Xerxes, the Persian king. And uh, in, in the day of the Persians, Colossae was the happening place to be. It, it was like... It was like the, the it, it, it occurred on the the highway 377 of the ancient day and all the traffic and all the people coming and going. That was Colossae in the days of the Persians. Well, guess what happened after that? They built a new road around Colossae through some neighboring towns. And what did that do? You're, you're right. It's the Crescent Bypass. It made the residents way more happy because it cut their commute time in half, right? That's what... Uh, no. Um, it may have. I don't know. But but it served the purpose. It kind of took Colossae off the map. Now all that foot traffic, all those wagons, all that commerce is diverted to a neighboring town. And Colossae is just kind of here as this little... Uh, you know, it, it's thriving is past. And, uh, and maybe, maybe you feel like it. Maybe, maybe you grew up in like Podunk Baptist Church, like this little church, you know, in some out of the way town that, you know, has 20 people in it. Imagine if, if your church in Podunk, Texas, 20 people on a good Sunday, got a letter from John MacArthur or John Piper or R.C. Sproul. And pick, pick your favorite theologian. You got some big name, big gun theologian, mega church guy, and he writes a letter to your little church. He had never even been there. What would you think about that? That's pretty neat, isn't it? That's amazing. Why, why would Pastor MacArthur or Pastor Piper, why, why, and that's exactly how the Colossians probably felt. Paul had never been to their church. He didn't have anything to do with the founding of their church. And, but, but he wrote one of his prison letters to this little church to encourage them. And we're going to learn in a moment why he did that. Uh, now, I mentioned he didn't make, uh, he never made it to the church. Uh, he didn't found the church. But, uh, it was started by a man named Epaphras. Now, this is, this is his journey to Rome, which some would say is sort of his fourth missionary journey. You'll remember uh, he was arrested in Jerusalem and he went before the council and he appealed to Caesar and they said, okay, so they, they put him on a ship bound for Rome and uh, then they were shipwrecked and they spent some time at sea and came to Malta. So you can kind of see on the map there what happens. But anyway, so that, that's a little bit of Paul's life and ministry. And uh, he, where does he write the letter of Colossians from? Do you remember? Yeah, so he's made it to Rome. He's in house arrest, right? Which is, it's kind of like prison, but he could have visitors and stuff like that. And, uh, and that's where he writes this letter 
to the Colossians. Okay, So that hopefully gets you oriented. This is a, a close-up map of Asia Minor, or what we would think of as southwest Turkey. And, and that shows you, that might be a little bit easier to see, but you can see Colossae, uh, Hierapolis, Laodicea, and inc- incidentally, that's where the other road went, was uh, I think through uh, Hierapolis there. Uh, Philadelphia, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum, Smyrna, Ephesus. Those are the those are the churches we find in what book in the Bible? In Revelation, right? Revelation, uh, the first couple of chapters there, the letters to the seven churches. So Colossae was a part of that little constellation of churches there in Southwest Asia. Okay. Any questions on that? Does that make sense? Okay. So let, let's talk about uh, Colossae itself today. Um, there is a wonderful, beautiful mountain uh, just uh, surrounding the area today. So if you go to Colossae today, that's what it looks like. You've got the mountains there in the distance, uh, but there's not a lot there today. Um, and uh, hopefully, I have this, I have this dream that uh, we're going to take a trip to Israel sometime. Remember, we were trying to do that last year, and then last year happened, uh, <laughs> and all plans changed. And uh, but we we need to do a. Um, a Journeys of Paul uh, tour sometime. Uh, wouldn't that be great? And uh, maybe sometimes they do the, the seven churches of, of Revelation or maybe something else, but it would be great to go see that. Maybe we can pray that, that God would allow us to do that sometime. Here's some, another picture there. See, very, very uh, pretty. And then you can see the snow-capped mountains there in the distance. Okay. In Paul's day, this is what the city probably looked like. And uh, again, um, these are, um, I didn't put these in your notes. Uh, they're, they're, some of these are copyrighted pictures, so I don't have the freedom to just print them. But uh, you can Google these and find maps. You probably have one in, in a study Bible if you have a study Bible. But you can see there's a mer- merchant's district, old town. There's a university. Um, there are gates in and out of the city, which was typical in that day. And uh, so it was a significant city. And uh, uh Paul planted a, uh, or not Paul, um, Epaphras planted that little church there, and, and it uh, it stood. Okay, so Paul is under house arrest in Rome, right? He's that that last journey from Jerusalem to Rome, so he's there, and while he is imprisoned, he's writing letters to friends and to churches that um, that need his guidance. Now you can see here, I blew it up so that you didn't feel like it was the eye doctor again. We were just in the book of James. Those of you who were in the book of James with me, that was likely the first letter written in the New Testament. Even though it comes later on in the Bible, it was probably the first letter written in the New Testament, probably about 46 A.D. You remember that from our study. So follow, follow the chronology here. Then First and Second Thessalonians, then First and Second Corinthians, then Galatians, then Romans, then probably Matthew, then Luke. Then notice Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, and Philippians. Those are the four what we call prison letters. They're all written while Paul is in uh, prison there. And you'll see there's dates, the missionary journeys there, and if we know the place where he wrote the letter from, and then a corresponding verse. By the way, if any of you want this, I should have put this in your notes because this is something that I made up. Um, You probably have it if you've taken a class from me because I usually put this chart in when we start a new book. But if you'd like this, just shoot me an email and we can can send it to you. Okay? Okay. so that's where we're at. That's what's going on. So let's talk about the background of Colossians itself now, okay? So it was written by Paul, accompanied by Timothy. So now we'll pick it up in your notes. If you're wondering, hey, Pastor Keith, when are we going to start the notes? The notes start right now. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God 
and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy co-wrote the letter. Uh, He was probably with Paul. Uh, Again, Paul was allowed visitors while he was under arrest. And uh, so Timothy was one of those guys. So Paul is the guy who writes it with Timothy. The date of the writing is somewhere between 58 and 63 AD. Uh, You remember from that that chart, whoops, where's the chart? Um, you know, I've got, I've got 61, 62 is probably a good idea. It could go back a little bit earlier. Uh, we don't have super precision on the, on the dates there, but that gives you a little bit of a range. So it, it's been, we'll call it 10, 10 to 15 years after James wrote his letter, somewhere in that range. And uh, he's writing, like I said, from prison. It's a prison epistle. Uh, it, it don't get stuck on that word epistle. That just means letter. That, that's the, the fancy church word for letter, right? So it's a prison letter, prison epistle. And the recipients are the believers of the Colossian church. The name of the book tells us, in this case, the recipients. Now, again, if you're new to Christianity or you're still trying to get all this un, under, your, under your belt, uh, the Bible's difficult because sometimes the name of the book is named after the person who wrote the book, right? So if we're talking about the book of Jeremiah, it's about the book, about the prophet Jeremiah, who probably penned a lot of the book. If we're talking about Romans, the book of Romans was not written by a bunch of Romans. It's written to the Romans, right? So sometimes it's the recipient, sometimes it's the person writing the book, and sometimes you're going to Acts. Who's Mr. Acts? Well, sometimes it has nothing to do uh, with the person who wrote it or the person who received it. It just has a different name, like Revelation or Acts. Um, so titles can be difficult there. Now, what's the occasion? This is where we get into sort of the meat and potatoes of the book here. Why did he write this and what's going on and, and what's this all about? Paul's purpose in writing this letter is to respond to Epaphras' report that heresy has crept into the church. We're thinking, man, the church is like brand new. It's like James, right? The church is brand new. It's in its infancy. But you know what? Just like an infant baby is susceptible to diseases and illnesses and injury, so the early church was susceptible to early outside influences of false teaching and false doctrine. And that's what's going on. How many of you know... um, Go ahead and you're trying to, you, you want a minute to fill all that in? I'll give you a minute to fill all that in because I know that, that there's a few blanks there. Okay, so we'll come back to what I was going to say here in a moment. So, so he's going to say basically three things. He's right, he, he picks up his uh, papyrus, his paper, and he's in prison and he starts writing to the Colossian Christians, not because he knows them, not because he's ever been there, not because he founded the church, but Epaphras, his friend, says, Hey, Paul, there's this great new work in the town of Colossae, I was a part of launching the church, and you would not believe they are being assaulted by heresy and false teachers. And Paul says, I'm going to do something about that. And so he picks up his pen and he writes to respond to this heresy. And he's basically, you want the, the letter in a nutshell, he's going to say three things. Number one, give Christ first place in everything and strive for maturity in him. And we talked about that. That's like the overall grand theme. Jesus has to have first place. Now, a footnote. Guess what these false teachers were saying in regard to Jesus? What do you think they were saying? What's that? 
He was just a man. Okay. Do you guys know that there's there's really one category that, that all heresy in one way or another falls into, and that is they mess with the person and work of Jesus. Right. So if you hear about some teaching, you know, some new deal, and you're like, "What do you believe about Jesus?" Oh, he was the spirit brother of Lucifer. <clears throat> right. No, oh, that's not that Mormonism just doesn't work. Right. Yeah, yeah, they read the New Testament and yeah, they talk about Jesus, but they change the person of Jesus. Uh, Islam. Right. What do Muslims believe? They believe in Jesus. Sure, they believe in Jesus. Right. He was a great prophet. Right. Was he the son of God who came to take away the sin of the world? No. So again, fails the test. Right. What about some like you meet some of these like like New Age. Like, it's like hippieism all over again, right? Some of you live through that. You can help us with this, right? It's, it's like this pseudo-religious hippie Jesus thing. Are you, are you, are you reading blogs? I hope you're not reading those blogs, but it's weird, man. It's, it's like, let's take like new age energy balance, you know, getting in touch with, you know, the, the God within and, but, but somehow Jesus has a role in some of these like Christian new age deals. And we say, well, I don't know what on earth that is, but that, that's not the Jesus of the Bible, right? So, so that, that's your one category. When, when people or systems start changing the person of Jesus or the work of Jesus, we know that that puts it into a realm of what we call heresy. Okay? So give Jesus first place. Number two, hold fast faith in Christ and do not be deceived or distracted by the heresy. And third, grow in Christ by applying their faith in everyday life experiences. So those are basically the three themes that uh, he's going to talk about. Now, uh, the heresy. How many of you guys have heard of something called Gnosticism? Gnosticism. Okay, what do you know about Gnosticism? Let's just roundtable it here for a minute. What have you heard about Gnosticism? Special knowledge. Yeah, so Gnosticism teaches that there's this special knowledge, this hidden knowledge, and if you're gonna, you know, be all that you can be, you've gotta somehow access that special knowledge, okay? Good. What else do you know about Gnosticism? Spiritual is good and flesh is bad. Okay. So one of the things that first century Gnosticism did was they separated the spiritual from the physical. And, and they wanted to really downplay anything that was physical. So if we believe that Jesus was fully God, he was, right? But we also believe what? He was fully man. Well, that's not going to sit well with a Gnostic, is it? Okay, because they have this, this view of, of spiritual things versus physical things, okay? What else do you know about Gnosticism? Does that pretty much exhaust it? Starts with a G. Yeah, you don't you don't pronounce the G. Yeah. What else? Anybody else? Okay. Yeah, that, that's that's good enough for now. And so the heresy that the Colossians were dealing with was not full blown Gnosticism. That's going to happen a little bit later in the first century. But what we call it in, in uh, if you read commentaries and you talk about theologians, they'll call it a pre-Gnostic heresy. So it has some of the seeds of Gnosticism, but it's not quite full-blown Gnosticism. Now, let me, can I just show you uh, what the heresy was, okay? So if you got Colossians open there, j- just flip the page a little bit uh, to chapter 2. And uh, let's let's look at some of the things that the Colossians were dealing with. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. 
Chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes this. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority. So just stop right there. So he kind of dips his toe into the conversation by saying, you know what? If Christ is who he says he is, and, and if he is the Son of God, don't be distracted by philosophies and traditions and some of these other things you're hearing. Don't lose your focus on Jesus. So that's how he starts the conversation. Now, now look down at verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That tells us that part of what the Colossians were dealing with was a sort of Judaistic Christianity. And this is common in the first century where a lot of early Christians that were Jewish thought that they still had to keep a lot of the Old Testament rituals and laws as well as believe in Jesus. So Colossae as a town was a mix of Gentiles and Jews. And so we see there's a a mixture in terms of the heresy. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. You know what that means? That that, that means they, they were doing physical harm to their body, either neglect or punishment, thinking that that allowed them to access that special knowledge that was behind true Christianity, according to the the heretics, okay? So self-abasement, the the mistreatment of the body, right? Um, Or how about this? The worship of angels. You think that's gone away? Oh my goodness, angel worship is thriving in America today and around the world. Well, where did that start? Well, right here. It was part of the Colossian heresy. Um, Worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. And so you you get the idea. And as you read through Colossians, that's one thing you can do, is just start writing down, what was this heresy? What what were they dealing with? And uh, what was all that going on with? So, Okay, so that's a little bit about the heresy. That's why he's writing. Now, there's some... Very important people that um, I'm putting this in your notes because you're going to read these names and you're going to go, who's that? Okay, so let's just talk about the important people. Number one, Paul, the author of the letter, uh, he is um, he is imprisoned yet a still concerned apostle, right? And so he's the one to write the letter. You know about him. Timothy, Paul's young, faithful companion who was a pastor at where? At Ephesus, right? He was the pastor of the Ephesian church. Remember, Paul spent three years there on his third missionary journey, and then he left uh, Timothy there as the pastor as he went on to other things. Epaphras, this is somebody you may not be as familiar with. He was a resident of Colossae and founder of the church, as well as other local churches in Laodicea and uh, Hierapolis. Uh, he is a friend of Paul. Uh, Paul calls him a bond slave of Christ Jesus. He probably met Paul during Paul's uh, two uh, two times stay at Ephesus, right? 
uh, while Paul was in prison, he brought to Paul a good report about the faith of the Colossians, but also about the heresy that had crept into the church. And then he apparently stayed with Paul for a time during his imprisonment. He was probably later martyred in Colossae. And that's one of the sad things about, you know, uh, 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 the rest of the story, the end of the story, uh, in terms of uh, did Colossae survive and thrive as a church? And sadly, they did not. Um, and it may have cost Epaphras his life there. Tychicus, okay? I, I gave you a, a big old paragraph here. There's some information. He's going to come up in the book, but what you need to know essentially is he is a friend and companion of Paul. He was one of several brothers who accompanied Paul on the way f- home from his third missionary journey. And uh, he's mentioned a bunch of times. Uh, he was with Paul during his first imprisonment and was sent by Paul to Emphasis and then to Colossae in order that he might report on Paul's condition. And here's the key. He's the guy that delivers the letter to Ephesians and Colossians. Okay, so remember, Tychicus is the UPS driver of the New Testament. Okay, this is the uh, the postal worker of of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Okay, he's the delivery boy for the letter. And then finally, uh, we have a couple of, of names that you may be a little more familiar with. Philemon. Where do you know Philemon from? From the Bible, yeah, he has a whole book in the Bible named after him, right? In fact, this was a letter written at a similar time as uh, Colossians, and uh, he lived in Colossae. He had a runaway slave named Onesimus, who's actually mentioned in this letter as well. So Colossians is interesting because we get a little bit of the details about the background of Philemon and Onesimus. So Philemon is is the master, right? And he has a slave, Onesimus, who runs away from Philemon. He gets converted under Paul's ministry. And what does Paul do? You need to go back and reconcile with your master. You shouldn't have run away. And so the letter of Philemon is written by Paul to Philemon to talk about what happened and to encourage Philemon to treat Onesimus with kindness and grace. And then... Um, Archippus is a, is a fellow soldier in the gospel who held some sort of position in the church Colossae. Perhaps he was related to Philemon. Okay, you get all that? Okay, now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Keith, why do we need Colossians? Why are we studying this today? We're not dealing with the Colossian heresy. We're not dealing with Gnostic. Well, we might be dealing with some Gnosticism today. Um, why do we need Colossians? And this is why I want to do Colossians with you. Number one, our Jesus is too small. Our Jesus is too small. We live in a time in church history where we have domesticated Jesus. He is ordinary. He is boring to a lot of Christians, he is. Um, I said this before, and and you know I, I grew up with Mr. Rogers, but but a lot of people think of Jesus as a Mr. Rogers savior. You know, he's this sweater clad nice guy. Just wants you to be nice with people, and and you know what? We we that's great if if it's your neighbor. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, right? But that's not a God that attracts your attention as someone you want to follow. I don't think. And 
if you're bored with Jesus, if, if, if you feel like Jesus is, you, you know he's supposed to be important and you know you're supposed to follow him, but, but truth be told, you're, you're just kind of unimpressed, you need to read Colossians. Because Colossians is going to say things like this. He made the universe and keeps it all. You know, did you hear about this, this Chinese booster rocket that's going to fall out of orbit? Did you hear about this? You know, we go, man, what is that all about? You know, we're sending people, you know, the space station. We're talking about going back to the moon. And, and all we think we're really smart. We're really great. We can do awesome things. And you know what? We can because we're made in the image of God. God made the universe. He made the moon. And Jesus was the person of the Trinity that spoke the universe into existence. And he is the reason that every atom in the known galaxies today is exactly where it should be. Can can you imagine the mission control center with all the levers and dials? You You think a glass panel cockpit is impressive, right? I mean, you got all this stuff here. And Jesus is there pulling the dials and checking the levers and running the whole universe. And, you know, we're unimpressed with Jesus because we forget who he is and what he's doing right now. He's not just the creator. He's the savior. He come. He bore your sin. That sin you committed this morning on your way to church is covered by his blood on the cross and, and, and all of the millions and billions of other sins that we have committed or will ever commit. He bore it all. He, he took it on himself and paid the penalty so that God and us could be reconciled. That's, see, we don't think about that. And that, that's why we're like, you know, I'm, I'm snoozing over Jesus because I don't think about who he is at his work. And Colossians, guys, is a refreshing reset button to help us to see Jesus for who he really is. That's the first reason we need him. Number two, false teaching is always around. And we're going to get into this. You're going to be surprised, I alluded to it already, how much of what Christians are struggling with today, I alluded to it with the New Age, New Age Christianity is a huge threat today. Critical race theory and social justice Embedded in the gospel message is the modern day heresy of the American church. Heresy is always around. The question is, do we know where it is? Are we responding to it? Are we acting the right way toward it? And so we need to hear what Paul says about false teaching so that we can be faithful and not buy into that. Number three. Deception from the world is a constant threat, isn't it? Did you hear, Paul, that we will not be deceived? And what we believe determines what we do. And so every every day, the battle for you and I is a battle of who we're going to believe. And we live in a culture that has a, a counter-Christian message. We have remaining sin in us that loves to live for self and loves to indulge in things that don't honor God. And we have the God of this world, the devil himself, the unholy trinity, right, of the devil, the world, and the flesh that is engaged in a civil war, as it were, in our hearts for us to believe things that aren't true. And if we believe things that aren't true, we're not going to do the right things. 
Well, Colossians can help us with that. How do you win the battle of your mind as you live in a world like that? That's why we need Colossians. Number four, we need Colossians because confusion abounds regarding the Old Testament. How many of you have heard of the Hebrew Roots Movement? Anybody heard of Hebrew Roots Movement? Okay. Um, Grant has, okay. This is, this is another thing going on, uh, in our larger evangelical world. A, 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 a Christian move, movement that is returned to say we ought to follow rituals and holidays and precepts of the Old Testament. It's happening, it's happening in Granbury. Well, guess what? That was happening in Colossae as well. And Paul wrote to say, hey, if you wanna, if you wanna celebrate Hanukkah and the Passover, awesome. But just remember, that's a shadow. The substance is Jesus and He's come. And, and those Old Testament pictures were designed to point to and prepare you for Christ. And now that He's here, we don't need the shadows anymore. So we need to think wisely and biblically about that. And number five, we need regular encouragement to grow, don't we? Are, are you, are you a little bit weary at times? And you're like, man, life's tough and trying to, you know, make ends meet and work through this and I'm supposed to be thriving with God. And Colossians is one of the, can I just encourage you? I go to Colossians chapter three when I just need help. And, and it has a way of ministering to me and encouraging me and, and saying, this is how you need to think. This is what you need to do. And there are great admonishments and encouragements to grow in this great book. And then finally, uh, or not finally, second to last, we struggle to apply our faith to life. Chapters 3 and 4 are all about if Christ is so great and he's done such a great work, how then shall we live? And Paul's going to talk about relationships. He's going to talk about your marriage. He's going to talk about parenting. He's going to talk about getting along with difficult people. He's going to talk about worship. He's about all that. How does your faith apply in your life? How, how do you take Jesus and live him out in these things? Very, very practical. And uh, you're going to love the, the application sections here. And finally, and maybe most convictingly, this is a book that's going to call us to learn how to labor in prayer. Uh, we'll see this as you, re- as you read through the book this week. This book starts with a prayer. It starts with a call to prayer. And it concludes with an admonition to pray. And you know what that means? If we're going to avoid false teaching and deception from the world and confusion about the Old Testament, and if we need encouragement and we're going to apply our faith to life, we must be a people who not just praise, but notice, what's the verb there? Labor. That's not my verb. That's Paul's verb. And Pastor Keith, praying is so hard. Yeah, it is. And Paul's saying, you have to work at it. You've got to strive after it. You've got to commit to doing it. And and laboring in prayer is one of the key marks of how we're going to not just survive, but thrive. Okay? My name's Keith. I'm going to be your tour guide for the next 15 weeks. You guys ready? Okay. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to read through the book of Colossians at least one time this week. Uh, If you want to be an advanced student, I'd love for you to read through it once a day and you come to me at the end of the summer you come back to me and tell me if that was a waste of time or it was a wonderful use of your time okay i bet i bet you will be changed for the better because of it
Let me pray. Uh, Father, thanks for uh, a good start, I I hope, for this wonderful letter. Uh, We're excited to work through it. And uh, Lord, we need need to see Jesus for who he is, uh, grow our vision of him for who he really is as we work through this letter and help us to learn how we can apply it to our lives, that we might be more like him and that we might minister more faithfully in his name. We're grateful. We commend to you our class. Use it for your glory. In his name, amen.